Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 98. This week, we talk with Aaron Williams and Bruno Turkley about Mesosphere, Docker, and containers, the most important topic we've ever had on the show. Java developers are the saddest. And Carl is a hipster. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics, providing tools and solutions to accelerate design, development, insights, and collaboration for any organization. This week we have two guests. We have Bruno Turkley. He is principal software engineer and has been with Microsoft for 11 years, and he helps companies migrate workloads to Azure. Welcome, Bruno. Thank you for having me here. Pleasure to be here. Yep. And yeah, and we also have Aaron Williams. He's head of advocacy at Mesosphere, getting people excited about Mesosphere, and he works closely with the open source community. Welcome, Aaron. Yeah. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is such an important topic. We needed at least two people. Maybe we should have even had more on here because Bruno before the show, you know, he, he mentioned that this is probably the, the most important topic the show has ever had. And, uh, I actually, I, I, I kind of agree with that because hey, like you said, it's changing the computing landscape of the world. So uh, well, I, very uh, cool I did chime in and say we're at the risk of losing my humility. So just as my guess. <laughs> I think you were right, though. Like, I'll, I'll I'll put it out there. I think I think that's uh, I think I think you're right. If uh, if we need if we need more people, I nominate Bruno to do voices too. So oh, okay, I don't, okay. I don't know what characters he can do, but we'll figure some out. Yeah, we'll we'll play guess the character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Carl. So what do we got going on with the swag bag? So we we got the swag bag embroidered. We we got a bunch of them. We got them embroidered. So me, you, and uh, whoever wins can each have a nice. Bag. Yep, I've moved into uh, my new bag. <laughs> yep. We we had there's pictures of it on Twitter. So if you're you're kind of curious, so what what we're sh- you know going to be giving away here, we're starting to let this go. There's two weeks until we make that decision. So it looks like right now, as planned, it'll be our build episode, mm-hmm. which uh, we hopefully will have another huge surprise along with the swag bag. Yeah, we're gonna give away. Yeah, contest. we're gonna have a huge. Guest or guests. I'm not sure which yet, but either way, it's going to be huge. Is it? Is this kind of like yep. the bags they give out at the Oscars, you know, like trips to Hawaii and stuff? <laughs> uh, almost. So the, <laughs> the, the, bag, the bag itself, let's put it this way, like it, just, just the plain bag by itself was 200 bucks. And then we got, um, we got some cu- uh, custom embroidered uh, MS Dev Show logo on there, which was, you know, countless dollars. I don't even know. And then uh, we have a whole bunch of stuff. I, I can't seem to locate the tablet, but there's supposed to be a tablet that goes in there. Uh, stickers, t-shirts, um, you name it. We're going to have just, it's just going to be uh, full of stuff, uh, probably a hat. Um, just anything we've ever had for swag will be in there. We're going to put lots and lots of stuff. I don't think it all fit in the bag. That's I'm going to be sitting by the mailbox for the next three weeks. So yeah, you <laughs> yeah, have so, my address. Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to record, uh, basically audio feedback and send it over to us. Um, done we've had, done. we've had some really good entries. We've had some, we've had some really so, good stuff. So, so, so times, time is winding down. I know uh, for a lot of other things that I generally do, we get the the best ones at the last minute. So <laughs> It, we're winding down to the last minute, uh, so let's let's get these last ones out there. Okay, perfect. All right, so one uh, Twitter feedback that we got was from Mark Allen. He said that he listened to the MS Dev Show on C Sharp Futures, and he suggests that developers give F Sharp a spin now, so we can get used to some of the upcoming C Sharp features, since they're kind of getting uh, mm-hmm. coming from those uh, those F Sharp roots. Yeah. And we thank you, Mark, for your feedback. And if you would like to get mentioned on the show like Mark did and have a chance to win the Infragistics Ultimate License like Mark did, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on Facebook, iTunes, or Stitcher. We really like those five-star iTunes reviews. It's kind of interesting, this whole world of functional programming. It's looking to me like it's kind of people want object orientation and they want their functional kind of uh, construct. Mm -hmm. It's no pure world is winning here. Yep. And I want dynamic and I want static and I want them exactly when I want them. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I do, you know, I do some, some C sharp and, and it, it's a little bit of a hassle to do uh, dynamic stuff in C sharp. And then I also do, I've been doing more and more TypeScript 
where dynamic is just so natural and then you're able to layer in uh, a type system on top of that. So I'm, I'm loving that. Yeah. I was parsing some JSON um, code and it was so nice to use dynamic there. It did a lot of the kind of grunt mm-hmm. work for me. It was awesome. Yeah. You should try that from, uh, Oh, this was in C sharp. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise we've, we've talked about this a few times on the show. Yeah. The, the, the alternative is to, you know, deserialize that stuff into objects and then have it explode either when there's something that it doesn't recognize or just have it eat that and have no clue what's going on. So yeah, it is nice with dynamic being able to pluck out whatever you want. Okay. So let's get into the news. So the first thing we have here, stack overflow developer survey results. Didn't we just do this, Carl? I mean, was it, was it now, only, a, was it just a year ago or am I thinking something else? So you might be thinking of the tech stack that uh, they, uh, that we talked about a month or two okay. ago. So they did a review on their tech stack, but once a year, they, they have a bunch of, uh, surveys for everybody who uses stack overflow to fill mm-hmm. out and just find out a little bit more information. And they don't keep that to themselves. They publish it out there and there's always some like really interesting things to take away. Um, this year, some of the stuff that I was looking at was kind of, you know, stuff we've been talking about on the show. Uh, we're remote workers. So mm-hmm. some of that stuff is important to me. I thought some of the interesting things is, you know, it's a little bit more obvious that uh, remote workers tend to be more experienced developers. If you look at it, 70% of the of remote workers have six years or more experience. But it also said that remote work, as you get experience, is less important to you. That was one of the things that they they tracked as well. Yeah, well, because I've seen both sides, right? I've seen remote and local, and and there's advantages to both. So I can sort of see why that's the case. One one thing that I've noticed, though, and somebody else pointed this out, actually, was that if you look at the developer developer occupations, like the by far, these results come from full-stack web developer. So, you know, I think they, I think they're a little bit skewed on that. So I would just keep that in mind is you always have this, a little bit of bias in these surveys uh, based on like who actually responds to them. Right. Yeah. And, and there's always little nuggets where you can pick out certain little things too, because they also had the, the, do you identify as a rock star or do you identify as a ninja? <laughs> and like if on the ninja side, you actually saw like one of the top responses is, uh, was, uh, windows phone developers think of themselves as ninjas. Okay. So, you know, it's, it, you know, that's a, obviously a very <laughs> oh, man. micro community. I just thought of a joke that they, I really shouldn't they, say. <laughs> oh, come on. Well, that now means you have to say it. Now you have to say it. <laughs> Carl's going to get mad. Ninja jokes are the best, actually. <laughs> no, no, it's not. An, it's, a, it's a Windows phone joke. Now, go ahead. Continue on, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we're, we'll have the link in the show notes. There's tons of things that you can find out. And, uh, and, you know, I think, you know, one of the important things that they're really pushing is obviously the stack overflow community does not have a lot of women in it. Mm-hmm. Neither does, neither does our profession. So it's something that they, you know, added a lot to the surveys to really help highlight that and bring these, this topic, uh, a lot more attention. Yeah. And kind of what I was saying in the beginning is that I think that the idea here too, is like these these enterprise developers that might be stuck on like ASP.NET V2, for example, like they're probably not on Stack Overflow because everything's pretty well documented and and they're they're probably not out here as much, for example. Um, when these these uh, full stack web developers are on the the bleeding edge of everything, and I think they treat this a little bit more as community than than anything. Uh, but I think this is probably about as comprehensive as we can get on a on a survey. Um, so the results are always interesting to me. Self-taught for education is the, t- is the biggest, huh? Wow. Yeah. Bachelor of science in, in computer science is, is actually the third highest. Cause the next one is on the job training. I'm not sure what the difference between self-taught and on the job training is. I guess it's just whether or not somebody is helping you period. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so we got more stats here. Java developers are the saddest and C sharp or C sorry. C plus plus programmers are the oldest. What's up with that, Carl? So, so I'm going to give a little background to actually where this is coming yeah. from. So so what somebody had done is they, they noticed that there's a lot of stereotypes in programming, like C++ developers are older or Apple developers are hipsters and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So so what they did is to, you know, to try to like prove some of these out in a very unscientific way, <laughs> they, they, they employed Project Oxford. So, uh, you know, that's Microsoft's technology for evaluating faces. Mm-hmm. And... They look at GitHub. So they pull down profiles, public profiles, their pictures, what they could tell about them. So they could tell if you're an iOS developer. They can tell 
in a lot of cases how old you are by the uh, by the Oxford stuff. So they did the age I love that. D- uh, detection. They detected if you had a beard. They detected if you were smiling, and they related this. You know, the smiles to are you happy? Beards to hipsters. Um, obviously, the age detection went into it, and they found that in, in a lot of these um, C plus plus developers were older. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Apple developers, Swift developers had more beards. And uh, certain um, technologies, like if you programmed in R, you had the most smiles on your GitHub uh, pictures. So <laughs> I thought it was kind of a, a cool approach uh, to to challenge some of these stereotypes. Yeah. It, what's interesting too is like some of these looks signif- <clears throat> uh, statistically significant to me, like the the gender of programmers, like in Perl. Uh, it, there's a, a much higher ratio of women in programming in Perl, whereas you get down to C and it's like it's just all guys in C. It's, it, that's just kind of, it's interesting to me. Wow. Yeah. Facial hair. So Carl, you're supposed to be a Swift programmer apparently. Uh, apparently, but there are some C sharp developers with, uh, with beards as well. So okay. our viewers can't really see him, but I can right now. And you are a hipster. <laughs> 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 that's, I asked him that before you guys join, I'm like, are you a hipster Carl? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, cause I have a beard. I have to be <laughs> Carl, the hipster. I love their, that animated GIF at the bottom, by the way. Um, okay. Uh, and last news story here, Microsoft Edge extensions now available to preview. Woohoo! This has been the big missing thing. Yeah. So it's in the most recent insider build. Uh, and, you know, to me, it, it, it's, you know, it's starting. So obviously you can't go out and put any extension into Edge right now. And obviously that's what we're all waiting for. But it comes with three different extensions in there by default and promises that you'll be able to get more in there. And I believe for developers, there is a way where you can actually get your own extension in there. Uh, but those details are really hazy right now because it's very early days. Um, what I what I imagine is that at Build, there's going to be a lot more information on building these extensions for Build or for Edge. And I know there's also an Edge conference where they uh, said that they're going to have a lot more information about this as well. Okay. The extensions are Xs, huh? I wonder if anybody's uh, kind of pulled those out. I'm just curious um, how much modification so, is required. So, so you will be able to submit extensions to the store and get extensions for uh, Edge as well as other regular applications uh, via the store as well. Yeah. No, I kind of figured that. I was just wondering if anybody's looked at the yeah, source just, code to kind of compare with Chrome extensions, see what the differences are. I suspect there's not many differences in there. Oh, okay. So let's get to the reason that we're actually here to talk about containerization, Docker, Mesosphere, and a whole bunch of other things that I don't uh, have a great understanding of, but that's why we brought the experts on. (laughs) So uh, let's just, let's just kind of dive in. So let's start from the top. Um, So like, let's just start with containerization. So what is containerization? And then the big buzzword around that, or should say the, the thing that people associate with containerization a lot of times is Docker. So what is containerization and what is Docker? Yeah, maybe I'll take a first stab at it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, containerization is this uh, a concept that's been around for a long time. And I think that's one of the things that, that surprises a lot of people is just how much history there is in this concept of containerization. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about bringing everything you need to run an application together into one bundle uh, so that it makes that application portable. That makes it easier to make it portable. And, you know, you mentioned Docker. Docker is is one sort of relatively new, actually, format for mm-hmm. doing containerization. Uh, and so it's a good one. Uh, it certainly has a lot, of, uh, a lot of adoption, a lot of developers out there using Docker, which is great. Uh, that standardization of containerization is one of the things that makes it strong. Uh, but the concept of it is pretty straightforward. Get everything you need in one place so that it's easy to move it around. If I run a container on my in my environment and then I hand you the same container, you should be able to run it and get the same results in yours. I did a little reading on this, uh, Aaron, and I noticed it started way back in 1979 when they they put together Change Root, which basically allowed you to isolate um, the file system right. to individual apps. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, because that's been a that's been a Linux feature for for that exactly. long. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think if I had to say it in one sentence, it's a portable store for a single component and all of its dependencies, such that it would run identically you know, in dev and in test, you just move that whole container. So I think that's the big value prop 
In addition to some of the other benefits, which we'll get into, which to me, like greater density on um, running in a VM, you can get more applications there. And I think the other big benefit there is that these things spin up in microseconds. So that, to me, is what containers bring to the story, um, is this ability to spin up quickly and achieve greater economies because you can pack more of these into a single computer. Your, your point about history, Bruno, is important, too, because this is one of, those, one of those concepts, one of those technologies that has really stood the test of time. So when you hear about something like this that's been around uh, since the 70s, you know that uh, you know this, this isn't some sort of uh, fly-by-night thing, even though, like I said, a lot of people look at Docker uh, as, a, as, a, as a version of containerization and say, well, that's not that old. I don't know if that thing's going to be around a while. I, I can tell you, containerization is here to stay, uh, and, uh, and Docker's just sort of a, a new, great way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's time has come basically. Now, this is a, I think it's so. a developer show, so maybe Aaron, you can comment on the notion of like a namespace and a C group and what's the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, uh, so I I do I, I do want to dive into this for just a second because because I you know I get the I get the concept and I've I've worked with um, client side containers of of different varieties. I, I think you could consider even like a virtual machine, a, a sort of like a container, right? Um, I've also worked with like client side containers for, for virtualizing applications. I've worked a little bit with Docker. I've worked a, a little bit with, you know, all different types of containers. So you mentioned this, this notion of being able to move this thing around and, and have the, um, environment unchanged. And when I played around with it, you know, it's, it's pretty cool because, in your, you know, from your containers perspective, the entire file system is sort of virtualized along with that. So it it's it's seeing the world as it expects to see it. But one one question I had on that is is there there are some things that that are shared between different containers, and does that ever cause issues? And, and if if I'm going too deep into this, just you know, kind of yell at me. But you know, one thing I was worried about was like, are there issues if your if your kernel version is like you know, if let's say there's there's a bug in like your HTTP stack, and and you deploy that that container, like it's not going to fix that, right? So yeah, I mean, I think. I, one of the things that that also brings up is the, is the security between these different containers, not just the OS flavor itself, yeah. and whether or not they are truly isolated at the kernel level. So, um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and actually, yeah, you make a good point too. Like, you could be your level of isolation can really depend on what technology you're using, right? Exactly. Okay, so maybe we'll maybe we'll just leave it at that. That way, we don't bore everybody with like excruciating detail. <laughs> okay, very cool. Because obviously, if you're in like a, a virtual machine, um, you know, like that level of container is is giving you like a copy of just like everything in that in that full stack, and you're you know pretty much a, a bug anywhere else is just not going to affect you at all. So. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you're sharing the kind of kernel and you save whatever yeah. that is, you know, that a VM has to spin up, I don't know how many gigs to boot up an OS. So you're yeah. saving a lot of that overhead. And then at the same time, because you're sharing the kernel, yeah, there might be things to think about. We could just leave it at that. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. So, you know, when we're talking about containers, you know, what kind of tools make working with them more useful? What the, what kind of things do I need to have when I'm working with containers? I think that's what Mesosphere brings to the equation, right, Aaron? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so so you know, it, certainly you have to have sort of a, a runtime environment, um, and so this is where what we have is called the data center operating system. Uh, it's designed to take a cluster um, uh, from your data center. Um, pool all the resources of that cluster into a single pool of resources so that uh, when you come to run your applications, come to run your containers on top, um, you, all you have to do is drop the container in and away it goes. You don't have to choose which machine it's going to run on. You don't have to choose where it's going to run. So, you, so first and foremost, you have to have that environment. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of different companies that do that. We do ours through this thing called the data center operating system. And the, one of the things I like to, or one of the analogies I like to use is, you know, when you fire up a browser on your laptop, you don't choose which core you're going to run it on, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's a good thing. I, I don't want to have to do that. And yeah. certainly, you know, we, we want to take that same sort of metaphor over to the data center so that when you run your containerized application uh, within the data center operating system, you're, you're there again, not choosing which machine it's running on. You're not choosing which virtual machine it's running on. All you're saying is, please, please get this container up and running. 
And then the other benefit that that gives you is the tools that help you scale those containers as you as you sort of need the the additional capacity. So the ability to take a single containerized application and spin up five, ten, twenty instances of it as you see more demand for that application. Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of tools that you need to be able to to make these containers successful. Okay, yeah, that's such a great point. Like from the, from a developer perspective, yeah, you're right. The the things that I don't care about. I just, I don't want to have to deal with, right? Exactly. <laughs> so and, that's what I love about this architecture. Yeah. And, and it's important sort of uh, how that helps us draw the line between the application developers, which can go and create these containerized applications and be focused on that particular problem. And then the DevOps team, which can be responsible for making sure lights are blinking and server racks and make sure that the, the data center itself is up and functional. Uh, a, a containerized application architecture like this helps you make that separation a little bit cleaner. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, you know, real quick, so I think when I think about the things that are still evolving, the things that are the most difficult problems to solve, it's around like the networking stack. How do you discover and address individual running containers that have been distributed across an entire data center? How do you make sure that they stay healthy? And if they do go down, that you can spin up a new copy so that orchestration part of it. And then finally, another area which is still being kind of resolved is the data storage aspect of it. How does that container store data outside of itself so that it can be shared with other containers or other systems? Yeah, I was going to ask like what this actually looks like in production. So you had mentioned the the, the data, I think it was data center operating system, right? Yeah, that's right. We, we abbreviated as DCOS in, in case we use that term later, just so the listeners <laughs> understand it. Um, so I have that thing installed. Like, what what does that look like in production? So I install that, and then and then you know, obviously, I can deploy applications to it. Like, what is there anything else I have to bring into that equation? Then no. Well, so so there are other things you can bring into that equation, yeah. and I think that's an important piece of it. So you know, the other the other point that I would. The other point that I would make about containers in general is they solve a problem, but they're not actually the solution to every problem. And sometimes people go a little overboard in assuming that everything should be a container or uh, that, that that is all you need in order to have uh, to create your sort of successful modern application inside your data center. But the reality is, you know, if you look at, at the data center operating system, part of what we do is run these containerized applications, but there's also services and frameworks and other things. So think of things like Spark and Kafka. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are things that you can use for doing uh, big data applications, for instance. Uh, not necessarily applicable to be put into containers because you want them to be available across all of your containers. And so those kinds of things, I think, are also uh, a challenge uh, for application developers. Um, You know that your container or the application you have in your container depends on those frameworks and depends on uh, those services. Um, How do you have a way of managing that dependency and making sure that when your container fires up, all of the frameworks and things you need are also running at the same time. This is where having a layer like the data center operating system in between can help with that because wow. when we fire up your container, then we know what you need. We can make sure that those things are, are uh, installed and running. Okay. So the, so those things are not necessarily running in containers, but my containers are able to access them. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and I think, you know, so, and storage, for instance, was another, another good example, yeah. right? So, so that's, that's a, a service yeah. that really goes across all containers. It's not limited to a single container. And usually you don't want each container to have to define its own method for doing storage. Um, so it's these kinds of services that I think, you know, you need a, a common way of managing that. And of yep. course, you can roll your own because, you know, all these frameworks that I'm talking about are open source. Uh, we just provide sort of a simplified way of bringing those things together into a single package. Yeah, okay, very I cool. think that's a good good assessment. So the um, mm-hmm. if you were to summarize that, it would be like it, it, DCOS handles the security, the networking, the monitoring, and the orchestration, and is composed of several open source solutions kind of bundled together. And I think you could add to this, Aaron, but there's like the Mesos layer, there's the Marathon layer, there's Zookeeper, and a couple of other um, components that make up DCOS. Yeah, and and that's why, like I said, we can go into it. There's about 20 different open source packages that get bundled together to create DCOS. So uh, the kernel of it is Apache Mesos. Uh, This is the technology that understands how to take a cluster and pool all the resources like I was talking about before. We use Marathon for doing our scheduling. Um, So this is what takes containers and actually gets them running on a specific server and understands how to manage that. 
Uh, we use Kronos for doing short-term jobs. So all of those different packages come together to give you all those services that you need. And then the way we put them together, you get a, a GUI on the front end so you can see what's happening in your data center. You get a CLI so you can go in with a single command line, download and install new packages into your data center. So the, those all those technologies come together to create what we think is kind of everything you need uh, in order to make the data center. Work. I've heard it. Yeah, I saw. I've it. heard it as um, excuse me as as described as Mesos for mere mortals. So instead of <laughs> I, I was like in that. a uh, I was in a meeting with a customer and they said uh, I love Mesos but I often feel like I'm running a nuclear power plant when I sit down <laughs> to use it and nobody wants that right so uh, Mesos as a technology is is fantastic of course uh, but I think you know there is that value in being able to say I've got something that is uh, is is usable at the end of the day. Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI tools and enterprise mobility solutions. SharePlus and Report Plus enable high-performance apps on any device, faster data insights, simplified collaboration, and market-leading security, all backed by comprehensive support. With Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Development Toolkit, you can ensure mission-critical applications delivering a superior user experience on the desktop, web, and native device environments for iOS and Android. With the latest BI tools, wow your users with dashboards providing the data insights that they need when and where they need it, all at a low total cost of ownership. Try it today. Download a free trial at infragistics.com and follow them for the latest updates in UX and UI development, reporting, and collaboration at Infragistics on Twitter. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you will get a free copy of Infragistics Ultimate UX and UI Toolset. Yeah, what actually got me interested in this was I was uh, I was just, you know, kind of searching around and looking at some different technologies. And I went to, I believe the address is mesosphere.com slash learn. And there's a video out there. And I think it's uh, it's a pretty short video, but I played that video and that kind of blew my mind. It's like, thank you. Like, <laughs> you know, cause, cause I started, I, I looked at, you know, I was looking at like Docker and some of the related tools and I looked at a whole bunch of diff- other di- different options and it's like, okay, I don't have time to learn 20 different things just to like get this thing up and running. You know, it's, it's interesting. You call it an operating system because, you know, on my computer, I know that the processor is super complex. I know I have multiple cores. <laughs> I know that there's all this other stuff going on, but I really just don't care. Yeah. I want to write my code and have it work. And I know there's been issues like parallel programming and, uh, you know, there's there occasionally there's complexity there, but for the most part, I just write my code. And if you want it faster, you can get a faster machine, um, or scale it up, you know, this way or the other. So taking that concept of like, listen, you don't care about this stuff. So we're just never going to show it to you unless, unless you want to see it. Like you can always open up your computer and look at that stuff if you want. Right. Uh, but if you never want to see it, then you just, you just go and we'll give you like this nice environment and you can worry about the things that actually deliver business value for you. I, I do feel like I have to make the major caveat though, because I'm sure someone out there is <laughs> It saying, crashes all the time. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> just kidding. No, no. Somebody but it recovers from those crashes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody out there is thinking in the back of their mind, but this is not an operating system. <laughs> so this is, I'm sure, no. a geek enough crowd uh, that they're going to call oh, us on that. Right. And, and I want to make sure, mail. I want to make sure that's clear. Like, this this is not an operating system. You still need your favorite flavor of Linux running underneath uh, DCOS. Uh, But we use that metaphor because it helps us uh, tell the exact story you were telling, which is uh, we're doing a lot of those same functions. We're just doing it across an entire cluster of servers as opposed to doing it for a single server. Aaron, you and I have talked about this quite a bit, that this software allows you to focus on your business, not on running, running these large distributed architectures. So... You know, it turns out that every company is a software company and, you know, like Uber wasn't a, wasn't a taxi business, Netflix wasn't making movies. And so we believe that Mesosphere allows you to focus on your business instead of how do you connect up all these containers. And I think that's the clear value prop of this type of technology. 
Yeah, I I, all right, so- I hear Satya say that all the time, and and you know, for me, it always kind of it gets me it gets me going. I mean, I, it gets me excited <laughs> about what we're doing here because it gives us a little purpose. You know, these these companies are all becoming software companies, and they're competing not just on their products but on the quality of their software. And so, the more we can do to help them stay focused on those things that are core to their business now, like like these software applications, these modern applications. Uh, the more value we can provide, so uh, that that makes me really excited. I'm 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 so happy when we get to, to sort of always tie this back to that value that we can add. Mm-hmm. So going back to a business, you know, you know, if I already have an application out there and I want to start using some sort of containerization technology, is there a way I can like slowly migrate pieces of my application, or do I kind of have to, you know, rearchitect what I'm doing a little bit more fundament- fundamentally? Well, I think you know this. This is maybe where we start to leap into the future um, for some folks because when we talk about containers, we often don't just talk about the application in the containers. We of- often talk about microservices in containers, and so you know instead of having these monolithic applications, we start to break them down into these smaller applications running microservices inside containers. Because there's just a wealth of benefits of taking your application and making it more modular like that. You can innovate at different paces. You can have uh, different resources to different parts of your application. So something that we see uh, from customers is starting down that path, being able to take pieces of their application, break it off, turn it into these microservices in containers architecture, and have that sort of running uh, in their data center. We've seen customers start down that path, and it's been it's been very successful. Others you know, may have a harder time untangling things to be able to do that. But um, microservices, I think, are, are here to stay as well, and they're, uh, they're where I would start. Yeah, that, to kind of follow up on that uh, in your question, and one of the, if you're familiar with domain-driven design, one of the ways people break up into microservices is to identify the bounded contexts. And so that's basically identifying, you know, the conceptual boundary for your applications, and then breaking that off as a separate service. So if you're a fan of architecture terms, that's one way to think about it. I'm going to ask you a question that's probably going to give you nightmares, but <laughs> if I have this like monolithic application, there's no, there's nothing technically keeping me from putting that into a container, right? Well, multiple, no. multiple containers, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, no, I'm just, I'm thinking like if I, let's say I have some, some giant, you know, I don't know, .NET server app or something. And, and I just, I throw it all into one container. Um, so it would technically work, right? It's just, it's, it's just that conceptually that is a really bad idea because you, you don't have scale and you're going to, you're going to run into other issues, but there's, there's no like, you know, size limit or anything that's like inherently built in. Is there? No, I mean, I think, I think you're losing the benefits though of having, well, yeah, no, I totally agree. I I guess what I'm trying to do is when, when somebody comes to me and like asks me like, well, can I just move this into a container? I, I, I think that, I think that probably is the right answer, right? Is like, well, yes, you can, but you're not going to see the benefits of doing this, the real benefits. Yes, I think that's the answer. Okay, I just wanted to confirm that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry for the nightmares that I'm, you know, you're going to. It, have it goes into all one of the other topics which containerization brings about, which is frequent updates without breaking the system. Which today everyone agrees, the more frequent updates you can do the better off you are for your customers, for your employees, for your business. And so by breaking off things into little containers, typically one app per container, gives you that agility and flexibility to release often. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not suggesting that that's a good idea to <laughs> just, just you know, lift and shift it into a container. Yeah, definitely not saying that. Um, so, you know, I've, I've always had this, this um, you know, I've always wanted to see an infinite compute layer like this, right? I, I remember back in 2008, um, Azure was, was uh, I think it was in beta at the time, I was looking at it. And it was frustrating for me because I'm like, I have this application and I have to go in and I, it's all tied to virtual machines. So I have to say, oh, I need three machines and here's how to run it. It was frustrating to me. I wanted to just say, here's my code, just, just you know, like make it so, make it run. Um, so is this finally that promised land of, of having an infinite compute layer where we can, you know, as we have more load, we just add more machines and, and it just does magically um, you know, increase up to infinity. I mean, if I, if I build this correctly today, can I be like the number one most busiest site on the internet and, and still deal with that? 
is is this the part where you're going to insert the uh, cloud of angels singing in the background? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on your answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so I think I think the answer is yes. Uh, okay. We're getting there. Uh, I think um, I, I want to be clear though about um, that that it it is not just sort of drop it and walk away, right? So yeah. Yeah, that that role of a DevOps team that is responsible for making that possible is still really important. So you still need those people that are sort of actively managing uh, okay. your operations. And I don't think we'll ever go away from that. Like that, that human involvement and optimization of that system is really, is really valuable. Now, you know, we're talking to a lot of customers that are looking at these hybrid environments now where you have some on-prem and some in the cloud and using the cloud as sort of the way of having that massive opportunity to scale when you need it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these kinds of, of, of uh, environments are real. These, these situations are real. So from that perspective, yes, we're there, but I, I don't want to make it sound from an application developer perspective, like you can just turn around to your DevOps guys and say, you can go home, the problem is solved. <laughs> okay, that's a great point. Great it's point. a journey, basically, that will probably never fully get there, right? It'll always be, we'll raise the technical requirements as we get closer to Nirvana. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Now, see, Bruno, now, now they're not going to be able to play my angel singing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> now it's wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, you brought that dose of reality in. <laughs> so if I wanted to take DCOS and get it up and running in Azure, what, what would that look like? Yeah, so we have uh, we have an ARM template that you can use uh, for running uh, DCOS in Azure. Uh, Bruno and I have both uh, used it to, to spin up clusters. Uh, it's very, very simple. Uh, from the standpoint of the management and configuration, getting DCLS running, uh, that's pretty painless. Um, we also have the Azure Container Service, uh, which was announced a few months ago and is now in public preview. Um, the Azure Container Service is powered by DCOS, so under the covers, uh, you're getting all the functionality and and uh, and technology from DCOS, uh, and you're getting Microsoft helping you run sort of a managed service as opposed to having to manage it yourself. So both of those uh, paths are available, and both of them work very well. We we use them all the time. So how do I choose? Is it basically the level of management that I want to handle? Yeah, exactly. If you want sort of the, the Microsoft support, the Microsoft, uh, uh, the benefits of having someone else be there with you managing yeah. uh, that uh, cluster, then uh, container service is right for you. And then you did mention hybrid. So we talked about running in Azure, and I think we implied running it on-prem earlier. So can can one of these clusters span between the two? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is that is something that still requires a little bit of work. Uh, so it's not something yeah. that's kind of automatic out of the box. Uh, but we're we're heading towards making that easier and easier. So okay. um, you know, and and Azure's a great example of of a platform that will make that easier and easier because they offer both solutions. So um, I think having having the opportunity of running. Uh, the same platform, the same cloud environment, uh, both on-prem and uh, in the in the Azure cloud, is uh, is a powerful solution. Okay. Well, one of the points that I think is worth making here is that containers run on bare metal as well as on top of a VM. And when you go to the public cloud, you're always running in a VM because that's the only way today we can guarantee the security that we want in the cloud. Well, however, you go to on-premises where security is less of a issue because you don't have a multi-tenant environment there. Uh, people are running it on bare metal. And so uh, Mesosphere software runs really well on bare metal as well as in the cloud. You can actually run more faster, more, more containers more quickly when you're running on bare metal, obviously. So that's something to think about as well as you make your decision. Okay. So with as popular as, you know, Docker has been, because I, I can't remember the last time I've been to a conference that hasn't talked about it. You know, what is the actual adoption of containers in the market? I mean, should everybody who's listening to this show really drop what they're doing? Yeah, am, I, am, I, am I too late? <laughs> or, or, or is this something that's still really, you know, we're, we're on, on the you know headwinds the, of? The big debate is whether people are going to run truly big production workloads. And Devin Test it's kind of a fait accompli. Everyone pretty much is doing. Even large, historically slow enterprises are doing it. There's a bunch of studies out there to support the fact that, indeed, people are are experimenting with containers at scale today. The question is, will they run giant production workloads? Aaron, what are you seeing out there with Mesosphere? 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely happening. So, you know, I think your your point about sort of the urgency of it is this something you uh, you you turn off the podcast immediately and go uh, pick up a book for? I, I don't know. I mean, I think we're still. Uh, Bruno's right. We're still heading towards a world where this is being used everywhere by everyone. But I think um, we have the first, you know, really positive examples of containers being used in production at very large scale now. And that's really a turning point. Um, this isn't uh, the, the theoretical conversation it was maybe two or three years ago. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if this worked now? Uh, I think especially with the, the size and the scale that we have with uh, DCOS, we're able to show that this really works uh, in a uh, high scale, high production, high availability uh, environment. Okay, very cool. So how does Mesosphere compare to, I know there's Kubernetes, there's Docker Swarm, and again, I'm sure there's lots of other technologies out there that uh, people listening are, are probably, you know, have in the back of their head. So yeah. like, how do you, how do you wade through all those? Like, how do they compare? Yeah. So look, I, I think on, on the one hand, I, I want to be very clear because as an operating system, we run all of the above. So yeah. it's not for us, it's not really a question of, that's a really you know, good point is there one that's better or not? Like if it's right for your environment, then I think DCOS uh, is a, is a, is the production solution because of our basis on Apache Mesos uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to run uh, those different container environments. Now I will say this, uh, in our experience with the customers that we work with, uh, Marathon is the solution that they tend to go with uh, in their production environment because of its track record in production. Uh, that doesn't say anything about you know using the Docker file format. Fantastic. Uh, that that I think is is being used pretty widely. But when you talk about Docker Swarm and Kubernetes, um, these are technologies that have a, a huge following, certainly from the standpoint of uh, of developer uh, attention. Uh, that's fantastic, but uh, I think there's still an open question about how production ready uh, they are. Okay, I just want to clarify a few things too. So uh, I just want to make this abundantly clear. So I can take if if I'm working with Docker today, I can run those containers on Mesosphere, correct? That's correct. Okay, I just want to make sure of that. And then the other thing uh, I wanted to ask you on what is Marathon? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry. Did I just yeah. drop that in there? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I, that's why so, I'm here. Marathon is another uh, another Apache open source project. Um, it is a container orchestrator, so it is uh, the thing that manages long term conta- running containers long term. So if you have an application that's going to you want to get up and running, and you want it to just sit there and process data or do um, other actions, um, Marathon is the environment for doing that. Uh, okay. uh, it is what understands how to take a container and get it running within that uh, Mesos cluster. Okay. And with respect to the Azure Container Service, it lets you, it supports both um, Swarm as well as Mesos. So just to kind of clarify what the Azure component will do, the Azure service. Okay. Cool. Um, so is there anything else that we missed? Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty big topic, and we flew through <laughs> a lot of it pretty quickly. So you know, what haven't we talked about that we probably should have? Well, you know, maybe Aaron, you could comment on kind of the sweet spot of applications that typically run, you know, for example, um, Hadoop-like workloads, Spark. Um, what, what, do you, what, kind of, what are the most common ways to leverage this software in your view? Yeah, so I think there's three. Um, there's maybe three focus areas that that I would I would start with. So first and foremost, um, just the the high scale, uh, hyperscale operations. So when you have an application, uh, we talked about before, where you want to be able to uh, scale it up very quickly to potentially very large size. Running it as a container on top of DCOS is an easy way to make that possible. So that's that's one use case. Second use case. Um, is the big data IoT. Um, that's when you bring together frameworks like Spark and Kafka, uh, maybe Cassandra as a database, to be able to process large uh, quantities of data. Maybe it's an IoT environment, for instance. So that's another really common use case for this. Uh, it gives you the ability to scale up and scale down when you want to crunch numbers very quickly. gives you the ability to sort of have this repeatable process in place. And then the last one, uh, we call it developer agility. So it's everything that you need um, for being able to to run your CI/CD, being able to sort of have these repeatable build processes. Um, all of that is something that I think developers um, uh, understand. And so having the the underlying platform like DCOS and containerized uh, things like Jenkins, for instance, um, helps you be able to to make all that possible. Yeah, very cool. 
okay, so let's move on here. Uh, so for the Azure pick of the week, um, I will include a link to this in the show notes, but it's Cloud Design Patterns, Prescriptive Architecture Guidance for Cloud Applications. So basically, this is kind of a high-level overview of a whole bunch of different cloud patterns, and some of this probably applies to what we're talking about today. Uh, but there's things in here like the Priority Queue pattern. Uh, there's a Pipes and Filters pattern, which I love. Uh, leader election, which is, uh, if you're familiar with service fabric, that, uh, that's an interesting pattern in there. Um, index table. There's, I think there's a couple dozen different design patterns in here. Uh, there's some, uh, some nice, um, uh, diagrams in here and you can go out and search for more information on any of those, but this is a great link that it's sort of a starting point in looking at a lot of these patterns that you might run into. So this is sort of the next generation of, of design patterns out there. And Carl, what do we have for the dev tip of the week? So the dev tip of the week you actually gave <laughs> me this morning. Um, I'm working on an event hub in Azure, mm -hmm. and I was actually having problems trying to troubleshoot some of what was going on. And you pointed me to this tool called Service Bus Explorer. It's out on GitHub. You just pull down the source code, run it in Visual Studio, uh, paste in your connection to uh, your uh, service bus, and you get everything. Uh, you can attach a listener to what you're doing so you can see if the messages are going exactly everything that's coming across the wire as it's happening. It was really cool. And I'd like to give a shout out to uh, whoever it was that made this because it's a fantastic for working with, uh, you know, any kind of these messaging queue technologies. Yep. yep. That's a good one. I've used that one many times. That one is, has saved me many times. Okay, guys. So we play a game on the show. Uh, it's a kid's game, you know, but we're uh -oh. all kids at heart. <laughs> so Aaron, I'll have you go first. I, what I want you to do is pick a number between one and four and tell me what it is. Uh, let's go four. Okay. Wait a minute. You said between, <laughs> not including. No, I'm, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm a developer, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's been it's it's been a long-standing issue on the show. So we get a lot of feedback on that. <laughs> I've, so I have actually tried different variations because everybody, uh, when I say between one and four, usually everybody picks. Actually, th everybody picks three. Some people pick two. It's pretty rare for anybody to pick one and four. So we've gotten emails on that. <laughs> uh, so for a while, what I did and it actually worked, I would say uh, between zero and five. Ah. Uh, a couple times I did try between one and four inclusive. <laughs> so uh, we've already addressed that issue. <laughs> oh, I thought I was being original. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you pick four. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather always have a constant yellow sick look or always have a red sunburned look? Oh, this is an easy one. So uh, I'm a very pale, pale man. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I grew up with a red sunburned look uh, my entire life. So uh, that's, uh, I do not like that. I'll, I'll go oh, okay. with yellow. I thought you mean like I'm used to it. I'm, I'm no, no, no. It, it brings back terrible memories from my childhood. So I'll, I'll go yellow. Okay. Very interesting. Okay, Bruno, what, uh, what number would you like to pick between one and four inclusive? Uh, thanks for <laughs> clarifying. I almost picked two again, but how about one? <laughs> one. Okay. For a million-dollar prize, would you rather have to keep a hula hoop going for five minutes without stopping or have to go pogo stick – have to well, – that's really weird. It is it is worded like that. Have to – oh, here we go. Have to go pogo stick across a football field without stopping or falling. Gosh, that's a really interesting question. Can you can you do either of those? <laughs> or, or could you do the two of them together? I'll just, be, I'll just be direct. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll do them. Can you double or nothing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know I can't do the hula hoop. So I would have to pick the pogo stick. I was thinking the same thing. I, I need to do, if you let me a couple of warm-up rounds, I could figure out the hula hoop. But without the warm-up round, I'm going with the pogo stick. Okay. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll accept that answer. Well, Carl, why don't you pick a number between one and four? I'll pick one. Uh, okay, I need to do a card here. Okay, here we go. Would you rather take a long, bumpy ride sitting jammed in the baby seat of a small shopping cart or take a long ride in the empty part of a cement truck that usually holds the cement and is turning. <laughs> oh, the last one, that for sure. Fun. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a lifelong dream of Carl. Bucket list check <laughs> mark right there. Yeah, to ride in the back of the cement truck. Well, you don't... That's checking off the You don't actually get to do these, by the way. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, so uh, Bruno, where can people find more information about you? Wait a minute. You don't get to pick one through four? No. I'm oh. exempt because I'm the. Well, I can. You're the host. Okay, I can see the them though. I guess I will pick. A, I will pick it since you, you know, popular demand. You've requested. Thank it. You. I will pick four. 
on this next card. Okay. Uh, and I will, I will change the wording. Would I rather run a mile on a six inch layer of potatoes? <laughs> Actually, I think we've had this one before or swim across a lake of maple syrup that is 12 feet deep. I think we were, we were trying to calculate like the viscosity of the maple syrup a mile on a, that would really hurt my ankles. Yeah, that would be, I'm a good cool. swimmer. Is it easier to swim? Do in... you like maple syrup? Are you Canadian by any chance? <laughs> no, I'm not Canadian, but I do like maple syrup. Okay. Do any of you not like it? <laughs> no, I love maple syrup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I think I'd pick the. I think I'd pick the maple syrup. Wise man. Okay, good. Thank you. I, I just wanted to make sure we were all <laughs> participating in this game. Yeah, I appreciate that. Somebody finally thinking of me because you know Carl never does. Uh, <laughs> Aaron's Canadian, so he really appreciates the maple syrup question. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, so uh, Aaron. Actually, no, I started with Bruno. So Bruno, where can people find you? Well, I'm easy to find pretty much on the web. That was uh, kind of my job. So I would say, like, you could find – I have three courses on O'Reilly um, currently. Okay. Um, I'll just leave it at that. They're around Linux and Azure and, and Data and Java. Okay. And, and okay. Con- well, a little bit on containers, by the way. Um, yeah. Okay. So we'll include those in the in the show notes. And Aaron, where can people find you? Well, with a name like Aaron Williams, you can't just find me. Okay. <laughs> so like, if you – so unique. If you search Aaron Williams, <laughs> you will find many Aaron Williams and they will not be me. So the question uh, is, is your name more common than mine? Uh, that's a good question. Because I went, I like my, my first, it was a kindergarten. There were, and in, when I was in kindergarten, in my school, there were three Jason Youngs in the same school. Three. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 did, I do know of two other Aaron Williamses that, oh, that I went okay. to school with at various times, but, and every company I've ever worked at, ex, but except Mesosphere, there was always at least one other Aaron Williams. <laughs> so I was always Aaron Williams five <laughs> at sap.com. It was terrible. Hey, you, yeah. you, you guys are close by the way. Um, um, Jason, you've got 13,800,000 and Aaron's got 13,200,000. Wow. wow. So close. <laughs> you know what's you know what's crazy though for all the Jason Youngs that I've known, if you search in the the Microsoft Gal which has, I don't know, well over 100,000 people in it, there is one other and he works in uh, in retail and occasionally <laughs> I get an email for him. But but with that many people, you think there'd be I expected there to be like 20 yeah. at least. Yeah. There's only one other one, and I don't even know if he still works there. So I might be the last one. My name is unique. Uh, my name is yep. like a GUID. It's unique across the planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a globally unique name. <laughs> awesome. So anyway, if you yep. want to find me, uh, you can you can search Aaron Williams Mesosphere. Uh, that's a good way to find me. Okay. And, uh, and you can always email me, Aaron.Williams at Mesosphere.io. Okay. Very cool. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash techie. So Bruno and Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about the most important topic this show has ever had. <laughs> I was going to say, did, did we live up to that billing? That's, <laughs> I, I, I want to I hear some feedback. So please, folks out there, tell us, uh, did we actually meet Bruno's high bar? <laughs> okay. So, so what we'll do the the feedback if you wanna if you wanna win for for next week, then the feedback has to be uh, around the topic, whether or not you think it's one of the most important <laughs> topics. <laughs> so, thank you so much for coming on the show, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Enjoyed every minute of it.